Welcome, everybody, Data and Driven. My name's Adam Luckroff, as always, joined by my friend and co-host, Nick Halen. Nick, how you doing, bud? What's up, everyone? I'm doing well, Adam. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. Um, right. We, uh, Nick and I are both excited. We're always excited about the episode, but this week we've got someone who we're intrigued with. Mm-hmm. His name is Mac Nolan. He is the co-founder and chief data officer of PH Data. I've heard of that company. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, full disclosure here, right at the beginning, PH Data has completed an M&A event with Tessellation and Data Coach. Nick and I work for Tessellation and Data Coach. We are now part of the PH Data family. Yes. Even, even if that didn't happen, we wanted to uh, talk to Mac, but the stars aligned so that we could, you know, talk about this uh, acquisition and merger in, in some ways during the interview. But but I think we're both excited to join the PH Data team, and you know, you might accuse us of log rolling in this episode or, or self promotion. Uh, fill in your favorite term around that, but hey, it is what it is, right, Nick? Absolutely. I mean, I think the story. You know, we've been partnering with these folks now for quite some time and <clears throat> kind of formalizing it uh, and then being able to work with them, you know, on, on a, on a true basis of camaraderie and team, you know, on the same team is quite exciting. I think it is, it is. And so I was thinking about this. I, I was walking my dogs this morning, Nick, you're a dog guy. Do you, do you go on a daily walk with your dog or what's your walking habits? I would say most days, but uh, you know, we got the fenced in backyard. So I'm, I'm tending to be, I'm starting to get kind of into lazy mode where I kind of let them out. And <laughs> like, I chase them around the yard and we just kind of tear it up out there. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, here's my philosophy. I love dogs. My philosophy on dogs. I won't go too into too deep on this, but one of the things that I love about having dogs and I've had dogs my whole life. I have two right now. I've got a real small one and a real big one. Mm-hmm. I love for me personally, the responsibility and really the duty that I feel that I have to walk them every day. And that is good for them. I happen to feel that a well-exercised dog is at its natural state. Yes. Right. So you, you often see people complain about dogs. Oh, they're jumping up or they're they're wild. They're chewing up stuff. And yeah, dogs will do those sort of things. But when they are well exercised, they are more at their natural state. So one of the things I ask people who are like complaining about their dogs, like, do you walk your dogs? Yeah. Well, no, I that my dog doesn't like walks. I once had a friend tell me that their dog didn't like walks. And I thought you are full of shit. And then, you know, sometimes, and they, you know, they sleep so much, so, you know, because they're bored, you know, if a dog yeah. doesn't have anything to do, they sleep, which is you know, kind of sad. So yeah, I agree. You it have to exercise sad. and they have to work that brain. So that's right. Good, good. Uh, I like that you said work the brain because for me, walking the dogs is as much for them as it is for me. I like to get out and go for a walk, right? And, and move and let my brain walk a little bit, right? And I'll listen to podcasts, I'll listen to music. But the fact that I'm not staring at a screen, that I'm moving my body, that my blood is pumping, I'm getting some exercise, my brain tends to go on some walks. And so I was on my walk this morning. And I started thinking about this episode and this interview. And Essentially, it's kind of interesting, Nick, because Mac is 
he's kind of one of the bosses for us now, right? Like kind of, we're kind of on his team now and, and he's one of the bosses and we're lucky that him and, and the rest of the team at PhD, they're really the, the great combination of humble, highly mm-hmm. intelligent and just fun to be around. So we, we really lucked out with this whole thing. Absolutely. But it got me thinking about, you know, I have had some great managers in my life, some great bosses. Um, one of my first sales managers, his name was Tony, and he taught me some things. One of the things he said to me early on was like, Adam, you're in, in your career, you are the only one who will ever always 100% look out for your own best interest. And that stuck with me, right? Because he was basically saying, you know, Adam, uh, the company man in me is trying to, has to tell you like, keep working hard and, and do what's best. But he, he was in some ways saying, you know, Hey, if you, if you can find something better, you should, um, worked for a guy named Paul Moquist for many years. I basically, everything I do in my career now in some ways extends from Paul. Um, I've had some other great leaders and bosses too, but Nick, what anyone in your life that kind of sticks out that you think about, as you're going about your day now and you're a people manager now and you're a leader, are you ever, is there ever someone, for me, it's Paul and Tony. Uh, they pop into my head all the time when I'm, when I'm doing my work. Anyone like that in your life? Yeah, so I better preface this by saying uh, tessellation bosses are excluded from this list. You know, <laughs> of course, we love them up too much, right? <laughs> um, so let's, let's go back to, I mean, my, my first job out of college was Periscope, this great ad agency downtown. Um, I had a boss there, Aaron, uh, you know, and he really helped me like get my feet under me in terms of like what it really looks like from a day-to-day standpoint of, you know, coming into work, putting the work in, creating an impact. And also creating creative solutions, even in a finance world, that's possible. But you know, getting creative and you know, getting solutions to ultimately enable the business and help people's jobs be easier, and therefore they can do more of their job. So I think that was a great one. Um, another one that sticks to my mind too is uh, uh, this guy Brian Patterson, who is a local guy. He works over at a a large healthcare company, uh, <laughs> and and I think he provided the autonomy for the team that I was on uh, when we were over at TCF Bank together um, to re- create the impact that we thought would drive value. And, you know, it was basically like, you know, go, go try to automate some stuff, go try to save some time. We did, the trust was built. And I think ultimately, you know, the projects that I worked on there really evolved to a internal kind of you know consulting role, which really, you know, for me, I found the value of that. And then therefore kind of wanted to make that a f- even more full-time piece of my, of my role and, you know, expand that on in the industry, which led me into consulting where I'm at today. So yeah, I think those are two, two pretty good calls there. Yeah, that's good. You mentioned the autonomy. That is something where a manager, I think sometimes their, their ability to give someone autonomy while being present and available to coach, yep, that's give someone a little bit of leash to maybe even make some mistakes, right? and not mm-hmm. be ever present in, in like completely directing the person. It's a tough thing to do though. It's, it's a hard thing managing people. So um, to all you, all you people managers out there, we, we feel you. Mm-hmm. And for the folks that right now are listening to this and are not in a great situation with their manager, uh, just know that, you know, the, <laughs> your career, there's a long arc to your career and, and things happen where you're maybe not in the best team. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll bookend it with 
again, what Tony told me is that in your career, you're, you're likely the only person who is 100% of the time going to look out for your own best interest. So um, find that great spot, find that great manager, boss, mentor, um, and step up. And with that, I think we should bring Mac in here, Nick. What do you think? I think that's a great segue. And we're off and running. We got Mac Nolan. Mac is the co-founder and chief data officer at PH Data. Mac, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Adam and Nick. Pleasure, uh, pleasure to be on today. All right. Well, the pleasure is all ours. We hope. Uh, pressure's on. Like, let's do let's do something good here. But <laughs> um, I guess first, explain what PH Data is for the people who don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Uh, so Page Data is uh, is really a data enablement company, and so we really focus in on um, you know providing that whole data journey for for an organization. You know everything from uh, basically you know helping companies establish and, and build out a data platform uh, to you know do data engineering work to ingest uh, data across their various uh, sources into that platform. And then provide, you know, both machine learning and analytics on, on top of that data to basically bring insight to, to the business users. Um, and then all along is, you know, is, um, is provide them, you know, training to enablement the, the whole organization to become, you know, really data driven. And so trying to provide that whole experience for, for organizations that, you know, want to be data driven and want to take their business to the next level. So that makes sense it makes sense to nick how would you i'm curious about this uh how would you explain what you do or how do you explain what you do to friends and family or acquaintances who who come from a place where they wouldn't know what a data pipeline is versus a data lake versus analytics like how do you explain it to those folks who are like mac what is it you guys do again yeah, yeah, like explain it to my mother, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was just to say, explain it to my dad. He's been retired for twenty years, smart guy, but doesn't get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so I, I take a couple different approaches to doing that. Um, in fact, my my mom, who I uh, see often, she, you know, we have this discussion a lot, and so. Um, what I really walk, walk her through is, is basically, you know, helping her understand that at these large corporations uh, or even small corporations, like there's a lot of activities that are happening in various different, you know, computer platforms. And um, you might have, you know, sales and, and things that are sales and opportunities happening in, in one, one uh, computer system. Uh, and, you know, basically, uh, you know, how people are delivering on that project, their timekeeping and stuff like that to in a different system. And, um, and then what will happen, mom, is, uh, you know, somebody will ask a question, hey, I've got all these new sales opportunities, do I have the ability to actually deliver on them if, if, we, if we end up closing those sales? And that's a question that really takes, uh, to answer it, you need to have information from two different systems. And so like one way to do that is you go talk to one system and you look at all the opportunities and then you go talk to the other system and, and talk to, and get all the, you know, the, the um, timesheets that people are logging and stuff like that. And then you, you know, make a mental map of trying to bring those together. Or what you can do is you can actually use software um, to basically bring those systems together and answer that question, you know, uh, automatically without, you know, having to ask two different, two different systems. And, um, and so really try to, you know, uh, make, you know, help them understand that, you know, 
businesses are asking questions right now that are requiring, uh, you know, to answer those, you need a bunch of information from a bunch of different spots. And really what we do is it was, we automate that process to bring all those spots together to help answer, answer that question. Um, so I'm sure if it doesn't always work, uh, it, you know, it, it, as well as, uh, as I'd like to, but it's, uh, that's how I try to try to explain it, uh, I guess, at a high level. Well, you'll be happy to know that Nick and I have already mentioned our moms on a previous episode. So you're in good company. Yeah. Uh, speaking of your mom, where'd you grow up, Mac? Yeah, so I grew up in a small uh, farming community uh, in southern Minnesota. Uh, the name of the town is Hayward, um, not not Hayward, Wisconsin, but uh, Hayward, Minnesota. And it's in between Elbertly and Austin, uh, right against the Iowa border. Okay. And so early on, uh, going to school, did you show an aptitude? Like, were you interested in certain classes that now make sense where you are in your career? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I was always kind of interested in, in math and in physics and stuff like that, and certainly wasn't a stellar student in anything, but, you know, those, those more, uh, I guess, quantitative studies, I kind of, you know, did a little bit better than in some of the, some of the other classes and stuff like that. So I think I always kind of leaned towards, uh, you know, a, a science or engineering role um, in my, in my career, even, even starting out. Yeah. Any teachers early on that, that helped you that, that kind of saw your aptitude or, or some mentors, someone that saw what you were able to do and helped guide you? Yeah, I've thought about that. I, I had a, a math teacher, uh, um, Mr. Rowe, and one of the things that he, had, he kind of told me, and I actually saw him not too many years ago, and I kind of uh, let him know that this really stuck with me, was you know, him saying, hey, Mac, look for a career where you're out solving problems. Uh, and be a, a problem solver. And basically, no matter what you end up doing in your career, if you kind of focus on being a problem solver, like you're, you're going to do, you're going to be successful. And um, turns out that's kind of what I fell into uh, right out of college is, you know, getting to, to work in IT and end up, you know, being a problem solver on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that, that statement that he gave me really stuck with me, um, even to this day, is, uh, you know, focusing on solving problems for others and, uh, and you'll do well. Yeah, I mean, Nick, that's exactly, knowing your story as well as I do, you hit on a huge problem early on in your career. You used a tool, Alteryx. It like, you solved that problem and then that sort of set you on your path, right? So that makes, that's that's similar to your story. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, just trying to think about what problem you're going to solve and how you're going to solve it was like basically how I got into uh, the data processing space. So uh, to kind of to your uh explanation there mac of like how do we explain what we do to folks now i like to say i'm gathering ingredients for the for the bakers and for the people that can put the frosting on the cake which is, could be that reporting layer right that tableau or power bi um yeah. but going to find the salt and the flour and the butter which is what really makes the cake that's how i explain it to people and being able to explain that you know in, in a way that people understand i think can go back to like the, the english courses i took uh uh, Ms. Colnane, I you know I can reference back in uh, in, in the Richfield days of uh, trying to find the right words to describe something simply. Also, with my experience of training folks that have English as a second language, I think it's taught me pretty well of how to explain things without too many uh, colloquialisms and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then thinking back to like the course that I liked, I think the most in, in high school um, was this architecture course, and there's only one or two. That we can actually take but it was the software that i leaned hard into um and then eventually did like nights and weekends to 
rebuild my entire apartment complex that I lived in. And now I'm thinking back when you mentioned the kind of courses, like I spent a lot of time wireframing and creating these like, you know, these pipelines on the ultra side, you know, after the, after the real data pipeline layer. And I'm like thinking back now, yeah, maybe that, maybe that software kind of, you know, got me off and running on that, on that respect too. So all comes back to the roots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely does. So what was your first computer Mac? We had a Commodore 64. Nice. Um, well, my, my dad uh, is kind of a, you know, uh, uh, amateur computer guy uh, growing up. So we had a Commodore 64 hooked it into a small black and white TV and uh, really <laughs> spent our time programming these little games that we could play, um, which they gave you all the instructions. You just had to type it in and, um, and then you play your little game and, uh, and then if, the, if you're, you're, I've got two brothers and if one of them unplugged the computer, then they, they, the game was banished and you had to reprogram it once you plugged it back in. But that was our, that was our first computer at home. All right. So you grew up on the border of Minnesota and Iowa. Uh, you headed to Duluth for your, for your undergraduate, it looks like UMD. Um, yep. my wife, my wife graduated from UMD. Uh, they had a big win this past weekend over the Gophers in hockey. I'm sure you were, uh, you were yeah. clued into that. Um, yeah. Did you go there with uh, sort of computers and engineering and software in mind, or did you go there? So I ended up at a school with, I had no clue what the hell I was going to do. Right. And like serendipity just led me down this path and maybe some hard work too, but like, did you go there with some intention or did you go there kind of with an open mind on, on where the path might lead? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. We called UMB Harvard of the North. Does anyone else uh, mention, mention that to you? I, wait, I thought University of Wisconsin Eau Claire was Harvard of the North. That's what <laughs> I was told. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. Um, so my dad actually, um, you know, gave me some advice before I showed up uh, my freshman year. Uh, and he said, Hey, you know, if you don't major in computer science, you should at least get a minor in computer science. And so I kind of went in with that mindset, though, I, even though I was, you know, hadn't declared a major when I started, um, that kind of stuck in my mind. And so I ended up, you know, kind of going down that track, uh, you know, early. And uh, unfortunately, I pivoted away from that track uh, in, in my undergrad. And it turns out that, you know, I mean, there's pros and cons of everything you, you do in life, but uh, I should have stuck with it um, in, in retrospect. And so, you know, ended up switching and I, I got a degree in, in communications from an undergrad perspective. And, um, and so uh, then, I, then I graduated and then I quickly realized like, oh my gosh, I, I should have really stuck the course there. And so then went back to, to, to school and, and went to St. Thomas and got a, a degree in software engineering. But on the back to UMB, so I just kind of kick myself for that um, and, you know, kind of say, say to myself, man, I should have really stuck with it, which in the end I should have. But I also learned some other things that like, you know, I, I probably uh, wouldn't have got experiences to necessarily. And so, you know, I major in communications. And so that's really to focus in on, on kind of training to be in public relations. And so you spend a lot of time, you know, public speaking, you spend a lot of time writing, you spend a lot of time, you know, selling a vision of those types of things. And as it turns out, as you move up in your career and you get into like, you know, management, like a lot of those things are really important. And like, I'm naturally kind of introverted. I get very, very nervous uh, speaking in front of, of, um, of, of people. 
And, but like that, that coursework and what I went through, like it forced me to practice that. And like, I still, I still get very nervous uh, talking in front of folks, but like it forced me to practice that over and over and over again. And it turns out that like those skills, those soft skills have ended up benefiting me quite a bit in, in the long run as well. So it wasn't all for loss. I wish I would have been able to maybe double major in like computer science and communications. That would have been like the sweet spot. Um, but that was kind of my, my story, uh, at, at UMD. Well, like I've told people, and I think I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, the fact that you're nervous before public speaking just means that you're a human, not a robot. And I said that to someone who then said, oh, I don't get nervous public speaking. And I thought, oh, shoot. Uh, well then you're the anomaly and I'm sure you're not a robot. I, I don't think okay. she's a robot. Is she Nick? I don't think so. Yeah. Esther, I believe is what you're referring to there. Yeah. And she, you know, she thrives to be on stage in front of thousands of people. And Mac, I'm with you. I'm like, if I get up there, my heart's beating no matter what still. And like, you know, I'm wearing long sleeves and stuff, so I don't reveal anything, you know, kind of a deal. Like it's, <laughs> it could be a pretty stressful situation, but what a high you get after kind of leaving the stage afterwards and, you know, being like, Oh, how nervous did I look? And people, you know, talking with people that are like, yeah like adam you're saying like it just means you care that you care what people you know are listening to and at the end of the day you have to kind of realize people are there to listen to you uh you know they wouldn't be in that room if that was not but that's still a tough thing to tell yourself when you're up on stage in front of dozens or hundreds of people <laughs> i introduced someone and i got his title wrong it wasn't that big of a deal but he immediately like got on stage and corrected me. <laughs> i was nice. like well sorry dude uh just so, hold the person a little bit before they get up there, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually gave him a promotion in the, in, as you know, I called him a VP and he was a director. Uh, it is what it is. Mac, you, you spent early in your career, you're at Thomson Reuters. It looked like you, you left for a couple of years, did some consulting work, went back to Thomson Reuters. I'm always interested in, you know, the first company where you spend a, a significant amount of time and you spent a, you spent a significant amount of time at Thomson Reuters. You did, looks like a several different jobs, worked your way up. Yep. Um, I, I guess I'm assuming that was a really positive experience and, and knowing Thomson Reuters, like I do uh, great reputation, really quality, successful business. Um, you know, tell me about your time there. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I ended up having a really great experience at, at TR um, and it was the perfect fit for me. And um, I'll kind of explain a little bit why is, you know, I, I started um, really at the very, very bottom. And so I started in tech support, um, which by the way, I think is honestly one of the best places for anyone uh, that wants to work in technology to start because you, you get to, you know, you're right in the arena of hearing about, you know, problems uh, that folks are having with your software or successes that they're having with your software. And so you really get uh, an entry and a, and a, you know, an education very quickly on what's working and what isn't working. So I started off in, in tech support, uh, supporting basically lawyers using the, the legal platform called Westlaw. Um, and so um, unknowing to me, I actually <laughs> which Westlaw is essentially a data platform, right? It's a platform where, where they basically aggregate a bunch of uh, legal legal data from various different sources, right? There's you know case law and you know, dockets and, and all those types of things. And so, unknowingly to me, I got involved in the in the data business like day one, 
of my career. And so, you know, worked in, worked in tech support. Um, and then, like you said, I just kind of moved, moved my way up into engineering um, after I got my, my engineering degree from St. Thomas and then, you know, senior engineer, lead engineer, and ended up being an architect. And so kind of followed that progression, um, which is another great thing for me. Like I did, I've done every role, right. As I've, as I've gone along. And so I've been able to kind of build on that and take a lot of those, those things that I've learned, um, you know, kind of, uh, uh, as, as I've grown and stuff like that. So, um, great experience working at, at TR, got exposure to a, a bunch of, uh, different technology also in, in the, in the upper Midwest for, for, um, you know, software companies, you know, they're, they're pretty progressive, um, or have been with, you know, adopting new technologies. Uh, they were very early on in the Hadoop world, uh, which is, um, where I kind of, uh, you know, kind of ended up uh, falling into and, and ultimately it was with the kind of genesis of, of pH data. And so that was really rewarding too, as you're always working on kind of new tech, new things, uh, really pushing the envelope. So really good experience there. And, um, and I, you know, if I had to do it all over, I would do that exactly the same way that I, that I, that I did it. So. So working with those technologies that you worked with at TR, uh, that, you you came you became aware over time that you were working with data. I mean, what possessed you to strike out on your own and hang a shingle and take that chance, leaving a, a pretty fantastic job? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, and uh, it was certainly some late night discussions with my wife, <laughs> wondering what I was thinking because um, yeah, I had a had a good gig uh, at TR. She was actually working there as well. And so um, it was really, really good uh, family life balance for us. And, and both were really enjoying our careers and stuff like that. Um, but it really came down to, you know, ultimately, like, you know, again, TR had been a fairly early uh, uh, adopter of technologies, Hadoop specifically, and um, really kind of fell into an opportunity where, you know, Cloudera was looking to expand in the upper Midwest and, and was looking for services partners. Um, and really asked us like, who, who does TR use for services partners? And, you know, we're like, well, we, we actually haven't used many services partners because like we, we kind of haven't found very men, many that are capable and we kind of do the, all our stuff in, in house. And, um, and ultimately, you know, what that led to is, is kind of a light bulb going off was, you know, maybe there's a, a market opportunity here. And so that was kind of the genesis of, of pH data is to you know provide services within within uh, within the Hadoop market for distributed data platforms and then um, ultimately you know kind of things kind of took off from there where we realized that hey you know we're not only really good at supporting and developing applications on top of Hadoop we're really good at supporting and developing applications uh, on top of all distributed data platforms and um, and so I've kind of taken that now to the the next level and um, and because uh, and, that's kind of our, our go forward plan. So. And I, I think I heard you or someone say one time that the, the first pH data office was in your laundry room. Do I have that right? <laughs> yep, yep, not too, not too far from here. Uh, <laughs> the first, first corporate office was in our, our laundry room and uh, Brock, my brother, who was one of the co-founders was making sure that I had the, you know, the, you got to put up the employment signs uh, from the various <laughs> states and so I was very, very concerned that I, that I had those up. So we did have those up in the, in the laundry room. And uh, that was our okay. corporate, corporate office. How Registered did you company for Minnesota, Minnesota. Yep. 
employment yeah. agreements. Nice. <laughs> Got to have that up. So I, I'm curious, was there a point when you realized, because let's be honest, the stats of, of startup businesses, the vast, vast majority of them fail within a certain amount of time. And I don't know what the stat is, but within a year or two, yeah. um, fast forward to today, PH data is doing fantastic. So was there a point an event, an inflection point at some point when you're like, whoa, we're on to something here. And I think this could be, I think I'm going to make a living off of this versus take a chance. Or did you know that from the beginning because you saw the market opportunity? Yeah. Um, good question. You know what? Going into this whole, whole experiment um, when I, when I left TR, like I knew that we were going to be successful. I just like, I, there's certain things that in your gut, you just, you just know that like, this has to work. Like just the, the physics of it, there's like, there's a big gap in, you know, services organizations that can do this type of work. And I'm confident, like, I know I can do this type of work and I know that I can, you know, help, um, you know, recruit and train and, and, and bring others to, to do this type of work as well. So like, I really felt it in my gut that that we're ultimately be successful. That being said, like you said, I mean, as soon as you start an organization and um, you know you're responsible for sales and you're responsible for payroll and you're responsible for you know all those types of delivery, all those types of things, you know you're you're scrambling, you're you're um, you know you're working hard and stuff like that. So I'd say that even though in my gut, you know, I was like, I know this is going to work. And I, I always have it probably it took a year or two, but feel it feels like this is really real. Um, and um, so, yeah, but uh, you know, ultimately from the very beginning, I was very confident, like, I know we can do this. And so that, that was uh, something that I guess helped me sleep at night is that I was confident in our skills and our, our ability to deliver. And I think you said your wife was working at TR. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the founder of Surly Brewing, uh, Surly is a, a craft brewery in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He says a version of, I've heard him talk before and someone asked him, well, what do you need to start a business? And he, he has a version of like a spouse with health insurance is <laughs> basically what he, how he explained it. So um, yeah. it does help to, uh, to marry up in this world as, as Nick and I both know. Um, it sounds yeah. like you do too. So um PH Data uh, made a pretty interesting acquisition recently. Uh, listeners of this podcast are, are familiar with Tessellation and Data Coach uh, because Nick and I work for Tessellation and Data Coach. So besides the pleasure of being able to work with Nick and myself, Mac, uh, what was it about Tessellation and Data Coach that, that had you guys kind of charged up to, to make this bold move? Yeah, yeah great question. I, I, you know, I can't, I mean, we are... We are so excited and, and humbled to be able to to work with you guys and and um, all the great you know the great team members that you guys have built and, and stuff like that. I think one of the things that that you know got us really excited when we first started kind of partnering on projects is just how close you guys work with the end users that are actually deriving the value from you know what we're producing. You know, on the platform side uh, of supporting platforms and then doing data engineering. Like oftentimes you're not actually interfacing with, with the end users that are, that are leveraging, you know, what you're using and, um, and, you know, tessellation is right is setting right next to the business with the business, helping them design the dashboards, um, helping train them on how to use the dashboards with, with data coach and all those types of things. And 
to be honest with you, that was a big piece of our business that that was missing. And um, and so like, you know, back to the, the you know, the, your first question to me, Adam, was, you know, what is pH data? To be a data enablement company, like we couldn't do it just providing, you know, managed services and, and data engineering. We had to do more. We had to be part of the full journey of, uh, of their data experience. And, um, and so that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that, that um, you know, I'm so excited and, and we've proven this, right? If you look at some of the projects that we've done in, in Cohort, we've done now the visualization, the analytics, we've done the data engineering on platforms that we're ultimately supporting. Um, and so that, that full story has been proven out and, and it's just like, it's, it's awesome. It's so exciting to be able to bring that to our customer base. Um, because they want that too, right? I mean, how many customers do we have to say, I love you guys that you can help me out with, you know, analytics, but, you know, got this data engineering stuff too, and I've now got to go to another vendor to have them help me out with. And on the pH data side, you know, how awesome is it to say, hey, you know, we can do your data engineering piece, we can do your managed services piece, um, but you no longer need to go to another vendor for visualization and analytics or, you know, or, or integrations, those same types of things. Like we can help you with that. And that whole story is just, is just awesome. Yeah. Well, Nick and I are both excited, of course. Um, and, and we appreciate your time. I, before we run out of time, I do, I do want to ask you, you know, you've, you were able to see a market gap, make a bold move, leaving a great job to start something of your own. Like, what are, what are you watching in the industry? Like, where, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but like, where do you see the industry heading or, or the company? Like, what are you, what are you kind of looking at as, as the, as the future is upon us very soon? Yeah. Well, obviously this is by no means any secret, but you know, uh, large organizations, our customer base are racing towards the cloud, right. And leveraging, uh, cloud services for both their platform and, and data engineering and ultimately you know, analytics at some point as well. And so, you know, that's a, a constant trend that we continue to see accelerate, right? Is that companies that, you know, we've PhD has been around for, I guess, six or seven years, companies that we've worked with that you thought they're never going to the cloud, right? These, these folks are going to be, you know, in their own data centers forever, are like making massive pivots and 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 racing to the cloud and um, and so that's 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 incredibly encouraging because um, I honestly think like it's the right thing for the business um, and and we're positioned to help them get there. Some other things too is you know just the I guess you know data science and machine learning and being able to bring um, you know the automation of decision making to companies in the middle part of, of the United States rather than just on the hmm. West Coast and East Coast, right? Is to be able to, you know, Google's been making use of, of machine learning for a long time, but to see now that, you know, organizations in the, in the Midwest that maybe aren't IT companies now are able to consume uh, machine learning and data science and actually, you know, really proved a ton of value out of that, I think is, is um, continuing to accelerate. And there again, like we're right in a sweet spot to be able to help with those organizations um, execute on that. So another space that we continue to follow very closely and ultimately obviously have services to help out with. So, Well, I can't think of a better place to stop for three Midwestern, uh, three Midwestern boys at heart here, uh, stopping on bringing the, bringing the Midwest to the cloud. So Mac, thank you so much. You should be very proud of what you built. Um, I know it takes a team and a village, uh, but we really appreciate your time and telling your story. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity. It's uh, it's a, um, humbling to be be uh, part of the the podcast. So I appreciate that. 
If you have feedback or questions or comments about anything you heard on today's show, the best place to reach us is either through tessellationtech.io or datacoach.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. My profile should be in the show notes. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and tell your friends. Thank you to Mac Noland, Nick Haland, and the Sticky Lifters for providing the music you heard on the show. You can find their music on Spotify or Apple Music. And thank you to our sponsors. Tessellation is a modern analytics consultancy. We enable and manage organizations, analytics, and self-service teams by educating people, optimizing technology, developing world-class products, and providing sustainable results. Also brought to you by DataCoach, where most analytics training programs lack depth. DataCoach provides wisdom. Our modern curriculum is unparalleled, comprising of video lessons, hands-on exercises, and a capstone project designed around your company's data. DataCoach also offers a truly premium service, one-on-one coaching. The Sticky Lifters playing us out once again with their song, Sourdough Lady. See you all next time on Data and Driven. She worked on down at the bakery, just five days a week. Though she baked was sour, but she was nice and sweet. A big old hat, so straight and smooth, like the superstar of the team. But I'm a fiend for the bakery scene with a side of sour cream. man's cake You're the one, the one I love You're the pastry queen You got everything I like You're the sourdough lady with the side of sour cream Enough to knock a man up his